Hey everyone, how are y'all doing today? Doing wonderful on this cold. I'm not a cold weather person, so I've had lots of coffee this morning, which makes me feel really good and hopefully will not make me talk too fast today. But hey, we're so glad that you're here, whether you're joining us in the house or online. We're so glad. Hey, let's go ahead. Let's stand up. Let's make some faith decorations over our life. Let's start 2022 outright. I don't know, it feels a little weird to say 2022, but I'm excited to be here, excited to start a new year. And I'm kind of like my dad. I'm always excited because the new year always feels like a new opportunity. Always feels like, hey, there's something fresh around the corner. Whatever, whatever happened 2021, we can choose to leave it in 2021. We don't have to bring it with us to 2022. How many of you guys know some people who've let, who've let 1993 stay in 1993 and it's still with them in 2022? And so let's not leave, let's leave 2021 in the past. Let's leave God's got a hope and a future for us. Amen. So let's say these like we mean it. God is who he says he is. God will do what he says he will do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ. God's word is true. God's word is alive and active in me. And now because of what Christ has done, I'm highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. Let me pray today. Dear Lord. We thank you today that we get to come and we get to hear your word, God. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity we just got to have to be in your presence, Lord. And Lord, I just pray right now as I'm speaking, Lord, it would just be you coming out and not me. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated today. So if you have your Bibles with, with, with you today, if you are uh, a hard case Bible toting folk. Go ahead, turn to it. John chapter, John chapter 6 verse 1. We're going to be there in just a minute. I don't know about you, but this year I've decided I'm going to go with a hardcover Bible. I usually read it on my phone, but I was like, I'm going to switch it up this year and do a hardcover. So how many of you guys, uh, like if you were my age, you grew up playing video games. So how many of you guys ever played like Nintendo 64? This is like old school. It is, you literally have to, you have this little game that you, you have to blow on it sometimes to get it to work. And you stick it in the game console and you hope, please, please work this time. And you're pressing the power button over and over again. You unplug the power, uh, uh, the power source in the back, plug it back in, please. Come on, work. Mom and dad aren't going to buy me another one of these. And so for me, I grew up playing Nintendo 64. And on it, I had a few games, had like Mario Kart. But one of the games that I absolutely loved is called Tony Hawk is what the game was called. And it was this skateboarding game. And I thought it was the coolest game ever. Me and my little brother would play these like games where we'd verse each other on it. But I don't know about you, it inspired me so much. And you got to see Tony Hawk on the video game. You saw him on TV doing all these cool tricks. And I thought, oh, I want to be like Tony Hawk. So I did what every like, teenage or every kid would do. I asked for a skateboard. But as soon as I got the skateboard, I was, uh, we were at my parents' house, and we had this big hill that went down. So I, I was like, I'm going to go to the top of this hill, and I'm going to go down it. And I have never ridden a skateboard in my life yet. <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I can do this. Just like that invincible like kid thinking, oh, I can do anything just because I saw it on a video game. Because I played it on a video game. Oh, I can do this. And so I get on that skateboard and I start riding down it. Well, I hit a bump and I flew off the skateboard, <laughs> scraped up my knee, and I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and just as quickly as the skateboard phase had come, the skateboard phase was gone out of my life. I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. 
I don't like the scrapes, I don't like the bruises, I'm not going to put in the time and the effort to be a skateboarder. And how many of you guys have you ever done that? You've had an identity crisis and you've, you've started saying, hey, I want to do this with my life. And for all of us, we have put our identity sometimes in something that is not how God has created us to be. Because God has given us an identity, and it's an identity to engage with him. Every one of us are uniquely created, and we are created to engage with God in a different way. And if we're not careful, we can get caught in identity traps in our life. For example, we can tend to base our identity on what other people expect of us. We can think about what other people want us to be or need us to be. We can constantly feel pressure by our friends, by our family, by our bosses to be something that we are not. And at the same time, we can tend to base our identity on areas where we feel judged by others. We can see ourselves through a lens of not being enough for whatever people expect of us. And you can fill in your own blank here. You can say, I'm not funny enough or I'm not tall enough, or I'm not confident enough, or I'm, I'm not this enough. Whatever it is, you can fill in the blank for your life, and you can put it there. I'm not enough. And we, t- and we tend to define areas of our life where we feel like we don't measure up. Also, we tend to base our identity on our image or how we appear to other people. But no matter how we would like to explain our identity, the question for all of us can come up the same is, who am I? Who am I? This one question can feed our insecurity, and it drives those decisions that we make. And it, can, and it determines the friends that we have. And it can t- determine what we do in our life. And the question is, am I enough? Am I enough? This is a question that we can ask ourselves all the time. But I want to give you the answer. And the answer is yes, you are enough. And some of you will say this. You said, yes, I'm enough, but. And you'll be quick to point out all the areas of your life where you're not measuring up. Because let's be honest, it's so easy to pick out the areas where we don't measure up instead of looking at the areas where we've done so good. Others of you may answer, no, I'm not enough because blank. No matter what anyone tells you or tells me, we just have a hard time believing that we could ever be enough. And I probably don't have to tell you this, but you, you are enough. You've been wondering, am I enough since the beginning of time? And people have been wondering that since the beginning of time, but you are enough. And so today we're going to look back at an interaction between Jesus and a group of people in the book of John. And in John's book, he records the miracle that Jesus performed. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to this. It's John chapter 1, verse, John chapter 6, verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea and a large crowd followed, followed him. Because they had seen the miracle signs he had done among the sick, Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the the Jewish festival. Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him. Next next slide, please. All right. Dramatic pause. 
I know we have that slide. When I put it in there myself. There we go. <laughs> After this, that's still the same slide. One more slide. One more. All right, so I'm going to kind of just guesstimate where this verse is right now. Let me go ahead and actually just look at my computer real quick because I actually have it. I was prepared. I was like, you know what? I lost my place last time. <laughs> Not doing that again. That's awesome. And so here we go. Are we there? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, the media people, man, I feel for them. You never get noticed if everything goes right, and you get noticed if everything goes wrong. And so he asked Philip, where will we buy food to feed these people? And Jesus said to, this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, more than half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have even a little bit. One more. Yes. So one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, A youth here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for a crowd like this? So right away we see that there's a problem here. Jesus could tell that the people are hungry and the disciples are starting to freak out. And I would too because how many of you guys know that hungry people become hangry people really fast? So the disciples are wondering, what do we do in this situation right now? And none of the disciples make enough money to come anywhere close to buying these people enough food. But Jesus doesn't seem worried at all. So check out what happens next. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter. And so Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread. When he had given things, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same thing with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. And I want to take a moment to mention something that doesn't get mentioned. And there's a youth who has some food right there. We aren't told if this youth is a, a boy or if it's a girl or it's just a young person. That's all we get to know about it. And this is a child. And in this, and in, and in this culture right now, this child would be not so valuable in, in the eyes of society. In fact, children were tended to be viewed only as really property. They only had value in the value that they could bring to their family. But there's something else to notice. This young person didn't have just regular bread. It was barley bread. And that's an interesting fact that John decides to include. Because back then, this was the kind of bread that poor people ate. This was the kind of bread that you ate when you didn't have a lot of money, when you didn't have a lot of status. And this child obviously didn't come from a family with a lot, but he or she was willing to give what they had anyways. It wasn't about what he was giving. He was just willing to be there. He was just willing to partner with God. He was just willing to be there in the moment and say, yes, I'm here right now. And so we see that Jesus has the people sit down there, and there's plenty of grass and he, and he starts to feed the people right there. He starts to be the life giver, the person who is distributing those who needed it most. You see, they each got how much they wanted. It wasn't even that they had barely enough. They had as much as they wanted. And when they were finished with it, with it they were able to fill it up. And they had 12 baskets left over. They had plenty of leftover for people who needed it the most. 
You see, when people had saw the miraculous sign that they had done, they even took Jesus and they wanted to make him their king. Go ahead and go to the next slide. See, Jesus did something miraculous, something extraordinary, something that someone with supernatural powers could only do. He took a little bit of barley, bread, and fish, and he fed a crowd, and there ended up being so much leftover. This is a crazy miracle, and Jesus is the obvious hero of the story, but John makes it a point to draw attention to a different hero as well, and it's the youth of this story, not given a name, not coming from wealth or privilege, and not having a lot to offer, was still featured at the center of this story. And I wonder if John doesn't want us to forget the role that Jesus allowed this kid to have in the story. Because Jesus could have provided the food with no help at all. I mean, he made blind people see. He brought the dead back to life. It would have taken nothing for him to make food to appear out of nowhere. But that's not what happened. Jesus takes the food of a barely noticed child and makes them a part of the story that's taking place. Why? Because Jesus knows who this kid is. This kid was made in the image of God, and that alone makes this young person a part of the story worth celebrating. Jesus wasn't limited to by what this kid could do or what he couldn't do. He, was, he wasn't limited by that, and the same is true for me and you. God is not limited by what we have or what we don't have. He's not limited by what we think about ourselves or what we don't think about ourselves. He can do anything with us. And Jesus says that, all, that what we are and what we have is enough for him to move with us. Think of it this way. You don't have to prove you're enough. God has already said you are enough. You aren't needing to prove it to your boss or to your family or to your friend or to that in-law. You are enough. This happens so, in so many areas of our life where we believe that success and great performance inevitably leads to being like and accepted. And this is a challenge for us. And this is one of the first challenges. It's one of the points I want to bring up is we can compare ourselves to other people. You see, we know areas of our life where we're doing pretty well in and where we feel like, hey, I'm getting close enough to the line. But we also know the areas where we don't do as well. And we tend to only look at the negative things. We tend to focus on the things where we seem to not be enough in those areas which starts to lead us to compare ourselves to other people. And I want to release you right now, is you are not them. God has created you for a reason. And, and it's easy to get into the comparison game and decide, oh, I want to be like them. I want to sing like him. I want to, be, I want to dance like him. I want to play the instrument like them. I want to be as smart as them. I want to be as good looking as them. And them, you're never going to be able to, to measure up. Because you always can be comparing yourself to someone who you feel like is better th than you. Which in turn can make you feel like, will I ever be good enough? And that's a mindset we, we can't have. And another thing, we, another challenge we can have is we compare ourselves to ourselves. We have this invisible standard that we want to live up to. And when we fall, fail in an area, we decide that we're not enough. And everyone in this room, at some point or another, we have compared ourselves to ourselves at some point. It's a universal experience where we feel like we aren't measuring up. But when we add Jesus to the equation, we can stop trying to prove we're enough because he takes whatever we have and he makes it enough. 
Jesus takes our feelings of not enough and tells us that we are enough, which it makes us what Jesus says and does such good news for us that we can, we can say, we can take his love, that his love doesn't change and he isn't temperamental and he isn't waiting to see how we perform. And we can take that, we can know that I am enough. Because Jesus isn't wondering what we can offer. He knows what we can offer. He says you are enough for him. The feeling of not being enough is normal. It's a part of being a human. At some point or another, we all deal with it. In response, we may try to prove that we are enough, that we have what it takes. Or you, you do like what I can do sometimes is we try to hide. We can try to hide from the spotlight. We can say, hey, I'm, I don't know if I have enough, so I'm going to hide my insecurities. So that we do everything we can so that we are not seen. So what can we do when those feelings come up? You can start by asking yourself some questions. And this is the first question is, where in my, in my life do I feel like I'm not enough? Do I feel like it with my friends? Do I feel like it when I'm at home? Do I feel like it when I'm at work? Where do I feel like I'm not enough? When we start to identify these things, we can start to say, okay, it's, it's this feeling, it's, it's this, and I, and I can start to re, re-engage my mind to say, no, I am enough in this thing. The second one is, when I don't feel like I'm enough, how do I tend to respond? Am I a hider? Do I want to go hide away and say, please don't look at me, please don't talk to me, please let me just be by myself? Do I do the opposite where I'm like, hey, let me, I'm going to prove myself right now? Or is it something else? Or, and the third thing is, when I feel that way, how am I going to remember that I'm enough? So we've identified it. We've learned what we do when we don't feel enough. And the third thing is, how do I deal with it? How do I change this thought process? How do I change this integrated behavior so I can change who I am so I can start realizing I am enough? A tip from my own experience is memorize what God says about me and it will start to change when I'm, when I'm not believing that, right, I'll start to do it. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which in God's prepared in advance, for, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That first phrase is a great place to start. We are God's handiwork, a piece of art. When we battle the feeling of not being enough, one of the worst things we can do is believe that we have to deal with it alone. That's why we care so much about small groups. That's why it's it's January 2nd and you're already hearing about them. It's because we know that they matter so much. Because what's easy to do is to say, oh, I'm not enough, I'm gonna go hide and I'm gonna go work on myself by myself. But you can't get better by yourself. You have to have people around you to help you get better. Because everyone, every single person in this room, everybody watching online needs a reminder that they, what what is true about them when they need it the most. And I imagine that that young person, even the story read, wanted to provide for something more for himself or herself. I imagine that youth wanted to do something to help. That's why they, they offered their food to Jesus. 
But it's also important to note that Jesus was able to create a miracle to be enough where there wasn't enough. Being enough is more, is more than just a good feeling. It's more about than a good feeling about yourself, though that's super important. It's also about knowing that you have everything you need to be a major force for good in the lives of others. That what God has put into your hands, what God has already given you, he says you're enough for. Imagine what might be possible if you started to believe that you are enough and that God can use you to be a force for good in the lives of others. And what if people in your small group or the small group you're going to be getting into started to believe that they're enough or that our group is enough? What if you started to walk in your daily life believing that about yourself and that you can spread the love and the hope of Jesus? Imagine what you may feel instead. I really believe you could change everyday people around you for your life if you start to believe that you are enough. You don't need to prove you're enough. Jesus says you're enough. This is an identity switch. It is the thing that changes us, is realizing that I don't have to prove something to realizing I am enough. It's the first step. When you believe in something, you start to walk it out. That's why our identity is so important. One of the things Pastor Richie's been talking about a lot about lately is engagement, engagement, engagement. And I believe it's what God wants us to do. He wants us to engage with him every single day. But, that ha- but the first step to that is I have to know who I actually am in my life. And when I do that, it makes engaging so much easier. It makes engagement with people so much easier. It makes engagement in my life so much easier. It makes sharing the love and hope of Jesus Christ so much easier when I know who I am, when I know what God's created me to do, when I know why I was put on this earth. It's the most important thing is to realize I have an identity that God has created me for.